Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. It's a massive topic, audiobooks. Um, And of course, as you would have started to hear, it's becoming quite a big thing. You know, I mean, back in the 80s, it was really Vision Australia who were doing all of the audiobooks and the ABC, which is where I first met Justine because she was a producer there. And we did all kinds of audio, didn't we, Stick? All of us. And it was, uh, they were amazing days. But, um, you know, the world has changed and audiobooks have become a thing. And a lot of people have great skills for performance, um, uh, commercials, voiceover, and all kinds of different things. Audiobooks is a completely different beast. It's really unlike any other kind of performance that we do. And it takes a special set of skills and a special set of considerations to even approach it. You know, you need to start to understand what it is about your voice that would would work for a certain kind of book and then understand how different books are and what your skill set suits in that line. Some people are better at fiction, some people are better at non-fiction, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to attempt to answer all of your questions sort of in a, in, a, in, a, in a sweep of order where we'll start with the landscape of the industry and what's out there and who's doing what. Um, so Stig and Justin and I will share that conversation based on what we know best. So let's kind of, let's just talk about in Australia and New Zealand. I, I mean, I don't have much information about New Zealand and um, but we will we'll try to help you as much as we can there. We'll talk about the landscape in Australia first that Justine and Stig both know. Um, so how it works. Justine, do you want to talk about how it actually works with studios, producers? Uh, how, how does, how, what part does Audible play in it? And how different is that from working directly with a, with a publisher? Okay, so I think... Um as Abby said, in the 80s, it was Vision Australia and the ABC who did a lot of what was then called talking books. The expression audiobooks took over in the 90s. Uh, and Belinda audiobooks uh, also developed uh, during the 90s. And then came the big digital transformation, which, of course, was when the audiobook world just started gradually exploding exponentially. And in, in the past... Um, The publishers of the books were approached by either the ABC, Vision Australia or Belinda for the audio rights and audio rights weren't generally considered that valuable. Um, But what has changed is that um, around around about 2010, both Vision Australia and the ABC chose for various reasons to stop producing audio books, which gave one company pretty much a monopoly for a long time. But then in 2014, Um, Audible came into the Australian market, so they launched audible.com.au and started producing Australian content. Also, the British company WF House expanded more into Australia and their masthead is Wavesound, so their their, uh, titles come out under the title Wavesound, under the name Wavesound, and you'll see them in public libraries. So the other change that happened at around that time was publishers started seeing the value in holding on to audio rights themselves And so they were, some of the publishing houses started to choose to produce their own content 
which meant they could control all the content. Otherwise, they went to an audiobook publisher and the audiobook publisher controlled the content. Uh, so publishers that do that are Hashtag Australia, who are one of our clients. It's Square Sound, where I now work. Penguin Random House do it. Um, Harper Collins do it. They don't necessarily do it for all their titles, but say big titles, like for example, Trent Dalton's uh, book, uh, Boy Swallows Universe, that Stig won an award for reading, uh, was one that the publisher thought, we want to do this ourselves because we think it's going to be a big title. Then the audiobook publishers, Wavesound and Belinda, still can pick up other titles from those publishers. But there's many more players now. And how it works is that um, some, of the one, some of the publishers, like Belinda, produce their own content. Wavesound are a publisher who don't produce their own content. So they uh, contract out the production to places like us at Square Sound or Audio Brine in Sydney, who produce a lot for Wavesound. And so we're a production house working to the audiobook publisher. Uh, so that's a kind of overview of where that's at um, at the moment in Australia. And yes, unfortunately, I can't really speak to New Zealand. Mm. I, I can speak a little bit actually about New Zealand because before I came on, I actually called Belinda to find out, you know, just what the connection into New Zealand is. And um, exactly what you said, Justine, that's exactly how it works. But something like uh, Boy Swallows Universe, for example, yeah, that was a HarperCollins production, but they outsourced the production to Belinda. And Belinda is the biggest uh, producer of audio in British Columbia. And the way it would work in somewhere like New Zealand, for example, is um, the, the, Belinda really pride themselves. And I think m most audio production houses do this these days because they recognise how important it is to get it right. That, you know, you need to get the right production, the right, the right narrator. All of those things need to come together to make sure that your first experience with an audio book is, you know, gets you on the path to wanting to listen to audio books down the track. If you had a bad experience, chances are you go, well, this is not for me. So they all understand you've got to get that right. So Belinda will get the book, get the rights to the book, and then they'll, usually what they'll do is uh, speak to the, the author and get their feedback on what they're looking in their head, what they're looking for, what, you know, what the narrator should be like. And they'll then send three samples to the author and say, here's three examples of who we think would be right for your book. And then that author then has a say, really, in, in who gets chosen. And then Belinda would go, okay, this is a New Zealand book. Uh, we have a bank of people who have already contacted us and we have them on a database. We think this would be right. This person, New Zealand person, would be right. And then they would either book a studio in Auckland or wherever that person lives and uh, put a uh, you know, producer in that room and do it that way. Or sometimes, occasionally, they would get that person to fly into Melbourne and they'd record them out of Tullamarine. Or, in fact, these days, I think uh, Belinda have recording studios in Sydney, uh, South Yarra, there's a couple in... Uh, they also record out of Brisbane and, and the UK. They have studios in the UK as well. For that reason, that they want to make sure that they get a voice as close as they can as to, you know, the origin of, of, of the text. So, yeah, it's definitely open. And um, what, what um, Chris said to me about that in terms of telling New Zealand people what they could do is just literally send your staff, send a, a demo to, um, into uh, Belinda in, here in Melbourne and, um, you know, they'd keep you on file. And if something came up that they thought you'd be right for, then, you know, you'd still be in the mix regardless of where you live. Now, can I just spell that for you guys? It's B-O-L-I-N-D-A, Belinda. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stig. 
You're welcome. Is that another award, Steve? Shit. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's a paperweight. And you can just, you know, you just Google them, um, email them and ask them what they require. Sometimes they will send you some text that you can audition with. Otherwise, really, it's, it's down to you. I mean, we're going to talk about auditioning a bit later on, but I just thought I'd throw this in while we're on the Belinda thing. Do they have a team of producers and they produce, um, Chris was telling me, they produce about a thousand books per year, about, about 100 per month, about 100 books per month. So they have a team of producers who, you know, she said, in, even in lockdown, we've never been busier. You know, people's demand, their thirst for audio through this period is huge. And so, you know, they're just producing all the time, which is why they're opening, opening up new studios and finding ways to record within uh, other countries so that they can be true to, to the text. So, That's great, Steve, because that was somebody's question, how many books get produced in this landscape. But, yeah. Justine, how many books are, are Square Sound producing? I actually have no idea. No. Um, I just smaller. That, um, I've just done my 100th book at Square Sound, and, of course, I did many, many books before that at the ABC, but um, I'm only one part of the Square Sound team. So, yeah, um, and Wave Sound also... Um, are producing lots of books too. Belinda is definitely the, the, the largest producer. How many studios do they run out there? Stick three? There's, I think there's three at Telemarine. They've just opened one up in South Yarra, which is a bit closer to the city. They have access to one. They've got their own uh, in Brisbane. They certainly record out of Brisbane. And I think they've just opened one in Sydney. And then if they outsource beyond that, I think they just book a studio like I used the Auckland example before. If they've got, you know, a narrator who lives yeah, in Auckland, right. then they just book a studio and put a producer into there. Well, at Tullamarine, they're running three studios and they're running three separate sessions a day. It's like a 9 to 12.30, a 1 to 4.30 or one to four and a four thirty to eight, you know, so they run sessions like that. And that's fairly common. That is not one person doing those sessions. I would never do back to back sessions, eight hours of reading a book or, or six hours. It's, it's too much for me. It's okay for some, some people just like to sit there and just get into the book. It's mentally exhausting for me. I just like to have it in shorter grabs. So I'm fresh and, and stay fresh. Um, but the other thing that I was going to say about New Zealand was... I mean, you know, even if you, if you, you know, want to throw yourself into a studio for eight hours and try and do it, without question, Justin, I'm sure you'd agree, you've worked with lots of different narrators, is that after a while you just start saying shit that's not even on not the page. there. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you, know, you, you know what I mean? Like you, your mind just wanders or something happens to you and it sort of it becomes, you know, you're less productive, I think. Absolutely. Um, when I was at the ABC for 25 years, the received wisdom at Radio Drama, which I was part of, was four-hour calls for single-voice reads. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of work on that principle at Square Sound too. And as Abby said, it, it doesn't mean that the studio's not productive because there'll be three calls, three different sessions with three different actors in one studio in one day. Uh, some people, as Abby said, like to just go and go and go. But I think as a general rule, certainly starting out, is that a four-hour call is pretty much the optimal and that if you're being pressured to go longer than that, then, as Steve said, it's going to become counterproductive. You're, making, you're going to start making more mistakes and just, you know, you will feel like you're, you're speaking Urdu or gobbledygook. It just stops making sense. So just another little tip for New Zealand people. There, there is a mob that you probably already know about, which is um, Audiobooks NZ, you know, all one word, or the voice box in 
uh, the voice booth, the voice box in Ponsonby, which I've actually been to. I visited there a, a little while ago. A guy called Phil Ewell. He produces a lot of stuff and he is producing some audio books. So that's just a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a way in. But Audio Brian in Sydney, um, certainly Square Sound in Melbourne and Bolinda, which is the biggest rates for <laughs> because rates for audiobooks is is a bit such a moving feast really but there's nothing structured so we don't have anything that actually recognizes skill particularly or recognizes um outstanding skill like if you have to deep dive a book that is full of characters or has a, a, a degree of complication around place names word pronunciations characters who are speaking in different accents you know it, it is for some people not too much of a schlep just to kind of get a voice for a um a, a book you know like a, a non-fiction book and just go straight through if you are dealing with a more complex fiction yes it can be much more time consuming and the other thing is it can take an awful lot more preparation an awful lot more preparation we're going to get to that later um, so home studios was a question people asked about in this marketplace so Justine actually just mentioned something before where one of the US producers who's also worthwhile uh, Googling, it's Dayan Audio, D-E-Y-A-N. They're based in LA. They are the biggest audio producer probably in that landscape and, and the most um, respected, I think. Deborah Dayan is a fabulous woman I met about six years ago and it, it's a great organisation and they do a lot of coaching as well. But they have uh, a, quite a few Australian and probably New Zealand voices on their you know, in their, their bank as well. And Justine, do you want to tell that story about what happened recently? Well, Diane um, do have a, a voice bank of Australian voices and there's a young actress who we worked with quite a bit here at Square Sound who's now in LA on a green card and she is on their voice bank and has done a couple of books for them. Uh, but the one that I worked on last week was actually with Caroline Lee, who's one of our most prolific uh, audiobook narrators and she was approached by Diane Audio to narrate an audiobook but they wanted her to self-record and that's quite common in the US landscape. Now Caroline responded saying you know I'm an audiobook narrator not a sound engineer and I want to do my narration properly and I don't want to self-record so that's how it came to Square Sound um, and we recorded there for Diane and um, that was fine, they were happy with that. Um, we worked out a deal. Have to say at the outset that no one's gonna get rich doing audio books. It's, it's not particularly hugely well paid, but it is a very rewarding line of work for people. The people who like it really love it. So uh, yeah. Um, there are a few people who've got home studio setups. Uh, I think later on we'll refer you to our podcast that Abby and I have been doing for Square Sound. Uh, and as part of that, I interviewed Rupert Dacus in Sydney. I don't know how many of you know of Rupert, but he's a very prolif prolific voiceover artist and audiobook narrator. And we talked about his home studio setup. He's got a proper setup, you know, he spent serious money on it. And he self-records audiobooks there, but he was very quick to point out that he only self-recorded his first audiobook having read over 100 with a producer in studio. So he knew exactly what he was doing. Mm. Um, if you get asked to self-record, you, you just have to ask yourself, you know, am I able to do the technical stuff? 
and maintain the quality of my performance. And it's going to be, I guess, different for everyone. You've got to make that assessment. But certainly if you're a newbie, I'd say that you need the support of having the extra pair of ears that's a producer slash engineer like me. So I record in my role, I record, so I'm on the Pro Tools, but I'm also directing you and, and basically being there as your safety net. Um, picking you up on pronunciations or just saying, oh, that Scottish character started sounding a bit Northern Irish there and <laughs> that sort of thing, um, which is what I do all day in the studio. Uh, How does it so, work, Christine? Can I just ask, because, like, you know, I've narrated hundreds of books also, but I think I would struggle to self-record because but for the way it works always is that, you know, I read, I make a mistake, the producer, you take me back to where my best bit was and you drop me in. I hear the last bit of read and you say drop in after this bit and we go on from there. So if I'm self-recording and, you know, we make mistakes, does that mean do I, do I drop myself in after every time I make a mistake or do I record the whole thing and then sit there and listen to it and edit and do it that way? Because that's, 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 a, that's like if it takes 12 hours to make the book, to read the book, that's another 12 hours to sort of edit the book. Exactly. And actually, I had a long conversation last week with David Tredinick, another prolific uh, audiobook narrator and a good friend of mine. And he is doing some work at the moment for Vision Australia that he's self-recording at home in the walk-in robe. But he, he was saying that it ends up taking him longer because he has to go back and check. And I think he's doing the edit himself later rather than dropping in. Can I just clarify that so people understand when we say stick and I say drop in edit the way we record is Stig will read along read along when he makes a mistake we stop we go back to an agreed point and then um, the computer plays back up to that point and then it drops itself into record so there's no editing done later it's kind of uh, destructive editing on the run and that's pretty much standard across the recorded book industry um, but uh, if you're self-recording, you either have to set that up on Pro Tools, so you need to be able to manage Pro Tools, and it's not the most straightforward of um, applications. It's not actually my preferred uh, web uh, audio editing suite at all. Um, or else, yeah, you have to just keep going and go back and find the point where the edit was. And often what people will do when they are self-recording, if they make a mistake, they'll clap so that when you look at the sound file, there'll be a very large spike where the clap is. So you know straight away that that's the point you have to go back to. Because otherwise, you have to listen back through the whole thing to find those edits. And that's time consuming. And that is taking money away from, you know. Um, I think we're going to talk later about how the, another standard in the industry is the pay rate is based on finished hour, recorded hour, not actual hour. So, yeah, it gets complicated. It is gruelling and it's gruelling in another way. If you were, because this, this answers a couple of questions that came in as well about, you know, I have, you know, my, my partner has a studio and we can self-record. It, it is still gruelling, even if, you know, you're not experienced with a book, having to actually stop even to get out of it, to, to, to go back and do a drop-in, you have to, oh, because all of a sudden you're out of the book. Because in, in order to do this really successfully, you have to get yourself... Um, 
into flow, basically, is flow. I, in fact, creatively, I think I've been more in flow, which is in creatively in the zone, than I ever have with any other kind of work I've done. And sometimes um, I'll be in the studio and the producer will, oh, you know, I've made a mistake or something or missed a word and the, the engineer will or producer will open up the button and I'll go, oh, and I get such a fright because I didn't know anybody was there because I was just in the book. But to have to do your own, be your own producer, an engineer, I just think is too grueling. And I mean, I've only done eight books. I started doing it a year ago, but I wouldn't self-record. I don't want to, you know. I, 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 I couldn't agree more, Ab. I can't imagine it. Like, absolutely what you said there is right. To get the best performance, you absolutely have to be, you know, in the book, like you said, in flow like that is, is how you all will. That's what makes a good book. That's what you absolutely want from the person who's narrating it. And if you have to then stop and be the engineer as well, uh, you know, I mean, I think if you have to self-record. There's one thing to self-record a 30-second um, TV commercial or a radio commercial for a radio station or even, you know, a, a bit of... Um, corporate read for some little thing that's that's a bit different you can always go back and fix it but books go for hours <laughs> like, right, exactly. and right. i think if i had to do it i'd probably just try and push through the whole thing in narrator mode and then go back and put on the the, the engineer hat and and that's a great idea justine to have a spike to look for is a great technique but wow that's a that's two jobs really and yeah, as if yeah, you're too much Anyway, you have to do both jobs. That's insane. Right. I'm just conscious that we've got a lot to fit into this time. So I just want to move along. But just before we get out of the kind of landscape things, um, the podcast that Justine and I have been doing is, is actually called the Audiobook Podcast. That was clever. We got the Audiobook Podcast, Audiobook One Word. And so we've done about 15 of those. So if you're interested in listening to those, that's going to be a big help. Stig, of course, does Stig at the Library. He's got a Facebook page. That's all about um, Stig's work that he does. He has a relationship with Belinda where just explain it briefly, Stig. Also, because I've narrated all the Andy Griffiths books and if any of you have children or, or young enough to know who Andy Griffiths is, um, you know, amazing. He's a just very clever author at get, especially getting boys to pick up a book and want to read. And um, years and years ago, I became the voice of all of his books. So I've read all 25 books of his. So as a result, I've sort of become a bit known for that anyway. And kids actually seek out <laughs> you know, other books that I've written because they particularly like me. So I turned that into a kind of a one-man show where I, I'll go into schools and libraries and, um, you know, talk, excite kids really about literature and reading through the use of audio books. And because cause, uh, Andy's clever and funny, I kind of sort of pick up on that as well. So the show, it's like a one-man stand-up comedy show for 10-year-olds, but at the heart of it, it's about encouraging children of that age to, um, to you know, engage with literature and in, in particular through the use of audio. So, and I've actually done lots of shows in New Zealand. Um, I've done sh that, that show, the Stig Live at the Library show, um, right through the UK, all over Australia. And I think I've been to New Zealand a couple of times and performed in, in libraries there. And it's great. And yeah, the website, there's a website and a Facebook page called Stig Live at the Library. It's worth having a look. Thanks. And also um, Equity, it was, Equity created a, um, uh, uh, created a wonderful initiative called Storyville and some people on on board today will probably be familiar with Storyville but it is a um you you volunteer to go and read to children Alex is there a um is there some where would they find information about Storyville if they don't already know 
Oh, sorry, I've made um, Alex. Yes, no, sorry, I was just on on unmute. Unmute. Um, go to www.equityfoundation.org.au, and there's a section on Storyville there. Thank you. That's fantastic. So now I want to talk about skills, really. Let's get to the skills thing, Stig and Justine, because that's the most important thing. Um, you know, there is a big difference in the way that you approach different genres, fiction, nonfiction, um, you know, children's writing, all of that kind of stuff. It is very different. So do you want to have a bit of a talk, Stig uh, or Justine, maybe first about the particular skills that you perceive are important for each of those genres? Okay, well, I guess in general, talk about the things that you have in your power to deal with your performance and shape your performance. So we're talking about pace, we're talking about dynamics and tone, and also something that's really important is pausing and silence, you know. Um, there's nothing worse than a book that's rushed through. You need to have that pause for reflection at the end of a, you know, deep paragraph. Um, I guess nonfiction is a bit more matter of fact than, you know, there's no character voices, obviously, so it's, it's really about how you convey information. And often it's quite complex information. Um, fiction is where you get into the, the narrative driven and often with lots of character voices. So thinking about how you're going to shape character voices and children's is certainly the extension of that because we definitely want all those, you know, great characterizations of voices in children's work. Um, we don't record any children's books at um, Square Sound, although I did used to do them at the ABC with Stig and Dabby and Jane Clifton. Uh, but Stig could probably talk more about his approach to that. So um, I guess that's just a general sort of overview of that. Stig? Well, maybe I'll just say this, that when the, the reason I started getting into narrating books and it was years ago, like I reckon I must have been done it for about 25, 30 years now. And back then, as Abby said early on, um, you know, it was really only Vision Australia that did them and it was really for vision impaired people. And I did it because I, I recognised that as an actor, if I could have, be skilled in using my voice, it was a great way to, you know, supplement my income, to use my voice the best I could. So I, I volunteered at Vision Australia to narrate books. It was a way to develop and I think that's, and it certainly helped. I think back then, um, it was, people didn't even really know very much about it. So for me, I was lucky in that I got, had this opportunity to develop as the industry developed. And I naturally had a very young sounding voice. So uh, I think the, Belinda heard about me, the ABC started using me for a lot of young um, people, young people books, so for children's books and young adults. And um, I think it is quite different when you, to do something like, uh, a, a young adult book even versus a children's book like an Andy Griffith book. Is this license, I think, within um, children's, uh, the children's arena where you can be more of a cartoon, you know, it's an opportunity to create an outrageous voice. But I think the rule is still the same, that when you read a book, I think in your head and when you're reading, you see a vision of the character that's coming off the page to you. You see them. And I think if you see them, you can also imagine what they sound like. And so you, I think as you read, even in your head, you automatically put a voice to that person. It's the way they're described or, or what they, you know, what the, how they approach a conversation with another character. You just have this feeling of what they sound like. 
And I think early on, I recognized that. And by doing it in the children's arena, I had this license to expand on that and go, okay, well, that, that's what I think uh, the headmaster might sound like, but let's make that extraordinary. You know, let's take that to a cartoon level. And so that suddenly I was being outrageous with characters. And I, I think I probably had to learn to then pull that back when I started doing books that weren't, you know, for, were more for young adults and um and then uh, Justine and I did a book together not so long ago called uh, Sharks Never Sleep. And uh, in fact, we, we, you know, we redid the book together because I first did the book with, this, with that same attitude. And this was an interesting book because it was a mix of fiction and nonfiction. It was all about sharks, but it kind of, when it told the story about the people who were being eaten by these sharks, it kind of told it from their own personal point of view and it got quite um, fiction-y, you know. It was, and so it was this interesting blend. And I think I went... In my first recording of it, I went too far down the track of putting character into these characters. And within the framework of that book, it wasn't until Justine came on board and said, I don't think that works. I think, you know, I think let's pull back completely from trying to, even though, you know, they're characters and they're written like characters, this is a book about... Um, a serious book about the way sharks behave, you know, it's non-fiction. And so finding that mix was, that was a learning curve for me. And I think maybe for you a little bit, Justine, you know, I certainly got it wrong the first time round, and it was great to have a producer who understood maybe what the problem was and we were able to fix it. But it was a good insight into knowing that that level of character that you build into what you're reading is very much dependent on the type of book that it is. Yeah, well, I'd like to just talk about the kind of books that I've done that have required me to, to jump into a lot of characters. Um, my favourite genre is really first person because then I can jump into the shoes of the character and I can hold that and then you jump out of those shoes into all of the, the characters. And a lot of people have asked questions around characterization. How do you do it? How form do you do it? It's not like an animation. It is really like a flavor. When you're doing a character, the other thing you need to remember about um, any kind of narration is that the narrator, whether it's first person or third person, is talking directly to the audience, right? The dialogue and all of the other characters are in a scene. So you have to separate that out because what you need to do when you're creating that scene is to create a visual that the reader can actually see and inhabit, the landscape that they can inhabit that you create. Now, this is not so much about you getting, it's not about the voice as much as it is about the, the, the nature of the character. I often think it's helpful to apply a particular characteristic to that character, just one word. Don't, don't try and get too clever. Apply one word like uh, asshole, um, um, naive, um, seductive, you know, all, all those kind of words and apply that to the character. So every time you go to that character, you just drop into that word and you play with that. That word drives underneath. Because the thing is, everyone listening to it knows that the narrator is doing all the voices. So the job is not like if you're working animation that you have to sound completely different from every character that you're voicing. This is that you need to actually keep the story visuals going. And the other thing that I need to say about um, reading audiobooks is that you're not reading audiobooks. Now, somebody did ask me a question, or, you know, what's the expectation, I mean, around kind of cold reading, just sort of get there and sort of, wing it hell oh, horror you just you over prepare books like you've never prepared anything in your life because you need to understand everything that's going on 
kind of backwards. So you have to get to the end. I mean, a couple of people have told me horror stories about not being able to finish the book and going in and getting to the end. Like, might have been you, Justine. Somebody gets to the end and they'd been voicing this guy all the way through with, say, an Aussie accent. They get to the end and somebody says, and you haven't lost your Dutch accent. <laughs> and, oh, so you had to go back and do the whole thing again. You that, have- was me, that was me. I was cut to the you. end of the last few pages. He said, he said in his broad Scottish accent. <laughs> I went, <laughs> right, that's right. Go back and redo the voice right through the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you know, preparation is, is absolutely everything. And, you know, you can spend hours, at least the amount of hours that it's going to take you to read the book on the prep. And it's really important. And it's important that you understand everything that you come across. You can actually um, connect to an author. You can certainly, through through the producer and the publisher, you can connect to the author. You can have a conversation with them. You can do email threads back and forth about things that you didn't quite I got this I'm not quite understanding what you mean by that you know that does happen and it's a very reasonable question to ask some authors are it doesn't translate as beautifully to spoken word you know because sometimes it's a bit too clever um, so they can be hard but but if you come across any word that you're unsure of the pronunciation or you think there might be one or two make a note of it there's Often what people do is they load their their book. When you get the book sent to you, the manuscript sent to you, you can load it onto an iPad that you can take into the studio or you can use the studio iPad and it will be loaded up. And there's a a tool called iAnnotate. Is it iAnnotate? I haven't used it yet. Apparently it's really good. I'm just such an analogue person. I need a book and a pen and I need to write my notes and I take that to the studio. Oh, we're just about to get to the paragraph with that really hard Russian word. Can we just look that up so I can hear it? And then when I I hear it, then we we drop it in. So, you know, things can be complex. Justine, would you like to talk? Um, yeah, can I just add though on, on your on preparation there and what you were saying? Sorry, Justin, just to put in there, but just after, after you see that's what most um, well, what I do is um, I, I will read the book once. Just I, I like to read the book just once. Just read it. Just yeah, know, as a ponder. Yeah, read it, and then then I'll read it a second time and make notes. And yeah, I have changed to Ianotope now, so you can draw on the screen. You can make notes on your um, iPad screen. And I love what you said, Ab. I think I without even uh, voicing that out loud, that's exactly what I've always done is given those characters a one word description so that all, that's all you have to write in the margin next to that uh, yeah. that particular paragraph where they're speaking you just simply write um loud you know soft speaker um callous rude obnoxious anything yeah. that makes you go uh, that's right that so when you're reading you see that word and you go okay i know that voice i know who this guy is that's yeah. enough that's all you need. and it keeps you in the flow without having to go back and analyse and rethink and look at notes too much. It's, it's a good thing to do. That, that is a hack that people use. Um, the other hack that people use for character voices is to um, place that character voice with a real person or a character in a movie. So, for example, someone like William McInnes, who's totally into old movies, I don't know if it's what he does, but he could say, all right, I'm going to be um, John Gilgood in that film, and that's your instant memory you know, to take you back into the character or else a real person. I remember once complimenting Gareth Reeves on that character in a book we did together and he said, oh, that's my mum. And so every time that character came up, he thought, I'm going to be my mum and he performed it like that. Um, Just to make it clear to people, you know, about the nuts and bolts of what's involved, the average book, um, so I'm talking adult fiction or non-fiction, not like children's books, um, 
I'd say the average is seven to 10 hours long. So if you're thinking about how long am I going to be into the studio to record a book that will be that length, what most studios do is allow double, double that amount of time to record. So the allowance is two hours to record one hour of audio. Um, so if you try this at home and read a page of a book and an average page might be, say, two minutes long, if it's taking you six minutes to, record, to read through that book, uh, that page, then maybe uh, audiobooks isn't, aren't for you. Um, it definitely gets easier with experience, you know. Um, people just get better and better with experience. And people like Jennifer Valetic and Jenny Seedsman and Rob Meldrum and Nicholas Bell, who've done so many books, they're much quicker and more fluid because something about, um, and I think Jen Valetic talked about this in the podcast um, episode we did with her, that your brain just sort of, knows instinctively you've developed some set of synapses that just understand the flow of a sentence understand where the stress should be understand the beats in the sentence and so you just get much quicker with experience um, but as abby said i think an hour prep for every hour of the book is not at all um unusual out of the ballpark and also as steak said that to just read it first as a punter and um, then go back and do your kind of preparation and analysis. So writing down those adjectives that are used to describe a person in the text of the book. So then you can choose which one you're going to use to inform that character. Um, it wasn't you I was telling Abby that stick. It was someone else who, yes, got to the end of a very large book and um, there was a reference to their accent being more pronounced when they were angry and uh, many pickups had to be recorded. Um, but I also did a book with someone who uh, hadn't read to the end of the book and um, I, it was a romantic fiction and I said, you know, look, I know these characters are at loggerheads for 200 pages, but by the end of the book, they're married, so you need to put a bit of, you know, friss on there in their dialogue. And she's like, oh, really? Did they end up together? Like, oh, no. Wow. Okay, well, that's, you know, that is the worst thing you can do for yourself. You might not ever get another book if you, don't, if you do that. But, that. but it also takes away the joy of it because the jo you have to, this is not just a job. It's really a passion because it doesn't pay incredibly well. And I was surprised when I did it. I actually took on an audio book. I asked Justine, I said, oh, you know how I said I didn't want to do an audio book. I do, I want to do it because people are asking me if I can coach them on audio book technique. And I know how to coach them on the technique, but I don't know anything about the landscape. I better do a book. Anyway, and, and luckily a few months later, I got this fabulous book. And, you know, and so that's how it started. But on that, where do you find a character? I actually chose for my second book, which was called Wolf Island, the voice of the narrator of To Kill a Mockingbird, which is my favourite all-time book. And it wasn't the voice so much, it was the tone and the flavour. You know, it's just... And the, the things that resonate with you always do it for a reason. So I, I like to steal those things and stick them in my kind of character voices bag and chop them out if it's appropriate. So I just wanted to add something before we move on to the next section about... Um, based on a couple of questions that people have asked uh, about accents. You know, I mean, it's basically apart from sort of generic US and UK accents, what else do we need to know? Anything that you can put in your accent bag is useful. Um, it's good to be 
really proficient at it, but it's not essential that you get it perfect as long as you get the flavour right. You know, but if you're, if you're an accent buff, then get better at that, better at it because that's just going to expand your skill base. Yes, I, I, can I just say about that in regard to my work at Square Sound and um, we always want to know what people's um, accent and language abilities are. So, for example, we did a book last year where um, we got a young narrator over the line because I taught her at the VCA and I knew she spoke French. Um, and the book was about a young girl on a gap year going to France, falling in love with a beautiful, handsome, romantic Frenchman. And so it was obvious to put Candace forward for that because I knew that as someone who had um, a, a pretty good proficiency in French, that she would be able to do the accent well because she know, understood about, you know, the different consonant sounds and vowel sounds in French. Uh, so we always want to know about people's own natural um, accents, if they have them, um, and their um, ability with dialects. It is probably true to say that most of the books we do are um, Australian titles, so the um, narrator voice is an Australian accent, but very often there are characters with accents. So the book I did with Caroline Lee last week for Day and Audio, um, the three principal characters, because it was set in Van Diemen's Land in, in the 1840s, the three principal characters were convict girls, and one was from Glasgow and one was from Roscommon in Ireland, and the third was from the East End of London. So Cockney, Glaswegian, and um, sort of uh, Leinster Irish, and they were in conversation with each other. So Caroline wanted to go from one to the other. Um, so, no, just do let us know if you have particular accent abilities. And also, people sometimes don't like doing accents. And, you know, we have a narrator we use a lot, and she just says, I'm not comfortable with it. So we don't offer her anything that's like that. So do tell us what your strengths are, and we'll try to work to them. Um, in, in, in many ways, what you said there before, Ab, is, is true that it's, you know, yes, it's, if you can do a great accent, it's good. But what's more important, I think, is consistency of character throughout the book. You know, if you're going to invent a voice or use it, use an accent for that character to make sure when we hear that person 200 pages later, you, we, the, you know, the listener goes, oh, yeah, I know who that is. I know it's the bad guy. Yeah, consistency is really important. There is a, there is a, um, a tool that uh, on, on Pro Tools where you can go back, oh, um, I've forgotten what that person sounded like. And, you know, can't you, Justine, you can just kind of bounce back to it and have a listen. Well, if, if I've noted the time code where it occurred, so the first time that character's occurred, um, mm -hmm. if I've made a note at the time code, it's very easy to go back. But if if you, I haven't made a note at the time and then you go, oh, my God, I want to hear it, it's a bit time-consuming. So often mm -hmm. what people will do is record themselves on their phone doing their accent when they're prepping. Um, so they will just have their phone next to them in, their studio, in the studio and um, on flight mode, of course, but when that voice comes back, they just play that same little snippet of voice to get back into character. And it may be them doing it themselves, or maybe it's something that they've researched from a dialect archive. So there's dialectarchive.org, which yeah. is the dialect archive of the International Dialect Coaches, and that has an astonishing range of dialects there. So you can just download the one you choose to use as your reference, and then just refresh your memory each time you come back to it. And also, I'll just add to that, if anybody does need to look up words, pronunciations or the, the correct pronunciation of foreign words or, or not, how just says, 
spelt H-O-W-J-S-A-Y.com. Fantastic it's, resource. It's the most authoritative. The other one people use a lot is Forvo, which is good, but how would you say is incredibly authoritative mm-hmm. and it also offers correct... Uh, it, offers alternative pronunciations that relevant to dialects. So the classic one that I always track my students with is L-I-E-U-T-E-N-A-N-T, uh, which when you go to how to say, will say British Lieutenant, American Lieutenant. So then you choose whatever is appropriate for the context of the work you're doing. And uh, Forvo is F-O-R-V-O, Forvo.com. Now we're going to move to um, auditioning. And how'd you get in? How'd you get in? So um, let's talk about the auditioning process from your perspective, Justine, from Square Sound's perspective. Do you want to talk about it from Belinda or do you want me to talk about it from Belinda Stig? Uh, why don't you talk about it, Ab, because um, you, you auditioned recently for Belinda. I, I spoke to Chris about it, had their process, and, but you're probably more familiar with it in recent time. Do you want to talk about yours, Justine? What sure. your expectation is? So what, if people express interest, interest either direct to us at Square Sound or via their agent, what we firstly ask is that people send in a submission of um, them reading maybe two different things. Just record it on the phone. Phone mic is completely fine for this. It doesn't have to be professional standards, just so we can get a sense of the voice. And then um, depending on how we feel about that, then we'll get you into the studio to get you to put some down in the studio because the reality is what you submit by phone, you could have spent four days making perfect. (laughs) And so we need to see how you go in the studio in the moment. And then we'll normally have um, three or four different pieces that we record with you in the studio that go into our voice bank. And then when we get a casting brief, uh, Stig, Stig talked a bit earlier about um, casting at Belinda, but, uh, and I'm sure we work the same way. We'll get a casting brief and the author may or may not be involved, but um, we'll pull out an array of voices from our voice bank and submit them. And it could be sometimes up to six voices, but normally at least three. And then the publisher or the client listens to them and says, yep, I think I'm narrowing it down to these two voices. And then what they often ask for is a sample of the book in question. So if you're on that short list, we will then send you a chapter from the book in question that's to be narrated and get you to read from that on your phone again um, so that the author, the author's often involved at this point, can decide which of those voices sits better with the text. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much standard procedure. Um, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> People can audition and be fab and then we won't have a relevant casting brief for them for ages. You know, it seems to go through, um, like three years ago, every casting brief brief we had was 20-something female. And so we went around desperately trying to find all these new voices because we always like to find new voices um, and found some great people. And then we stopped getting those casting briefs and it was all, you know, 30-something male. Uh, But we pride ourselves on our voice casting at Square Sound and um, I did voice casting at the ABC for a long time before that and um, those voices live in here and when I think and Marianne my colleague when we find the opportunity we're very happy to put those voices forward. Fabulous Justine. Well um, um, Belinda, are you I, going to speak? I'll just quickly say this that um, 
it, it, it ultimately then just comes down to luck, like any other audition. Mm. Um, and I'll just quickly tell this story that uh, when I, I auditioned for um, Boy Swallows Universe, the Trent Dalton book, and um, the, that book, um, uh, Trent told me this later afterwards, that um, the, 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 the two brothers in that book are actually based on his other three brothers. He's got, there's four of them in the family altogether. And he got my audition tape in and he read that it was from this guy called Steve Weems. And um, he called his brothers and went, wow, I wonder if this can be the same guy. And he told me this story that back, in, back then, in, in that time, in that period in the 80s, um, his brothers on a Sunday night used to sit down with their dad and watch a, sh a television show called Colin Carpenter, which I was in. I played one of the regular characters in this show. And um, he said that on a Sunday night at 7.30 when Colin Carpenter came on, his dad was sober and uh, his, him and his brothers would sit down as a family together and they'd watch this show and he remembers it being one of the most joyous and happiest times in, in, their, in their week, really, because his dad loved Colin Carpenter, thought he was a great character, it was really funny, the dad enjoyed it, they were all together. And then by 10 o'clock that night, the dad would be pissed off his head, he would beat the shit out of the boys. And so for Trent, it was this amazing time, this feel-good period. And so he kind of read my name without even listening to the, um, you know, to my the audition tape that I'd sent him and straight away had an interest in me, then listened to it and felt that my voice really connected with that urban landscape that the book presented. And so everything fell into place, which was, you know, that was lucky and lovely as well. But, but there you go. I mean, that just came down to some fluky thing that the, you know, the, the author happened to go, wow, is that the same guy? And okay. I just pick him. Yeah. So, so yeah, thanks, Steve. So, um, so the way Belinda auditioned, it really did come through my agent, um, a, a, a little, a, a thing that you could audition for. And then it, then I looked at it and I read it and thought, oh, I don't think much of that, so I won't. And then a brief came through to my agent who is EM Voices and I was asked to submit for it. And I thought, oh, gee, I really like that. So I did a recording at home. I have a little studio called a cubby. See it over there in the corner? That's my little cubby. And um, it works very well. It's just, just baffled. It's not soundproof or anything, but it is, it's nice and quiet. And I, I do professional work in there because everybody who's doing voiceover is working from home at the moment. Um, and I did that and, and I got that. So, you know, then I, once you get one and they get to know you a little bit, then you're kind of in the, in the stable. But you just about always have to audition. Sometimes you might get offered a book. If it's not a big book, if I, I could just say if it's not a big book, you might be offered the book. And I did make the mistake last year of doing something that wasn't, I uh, wasn't, didn't have to audition for, and it was really a horrible book. It was badly written, it was badly edited, it was a romance novel, but it was uncomfortable in so many ways that I don't even want to talk about. And I was sorry that I would even have to put my name to it. Um, so, so you need to be careful what, what you get. I mean, sometimes there is material. You would like to do the job, but you don't like the material. You can always change your name. You don't have to put your own name on the book. Um, so other, some people have asked about making a reel of narration. You know, I think do that when you've done some books, but you, you, doing some samples to send to a studio is important. To, doing some samples to send to an agent, like a voice agent, if you haven't done books before, might not be, um, it might not lead to success because... As Justine was just saying, you know, you might get a couple of books one year and then you might not get any and then you might get one and then you might just hit a sweet spot where you are the voice of the moment and you end up doing a whole lot of things. So it's very, very iffy 
Um, I just say, yeah, one of the sweet spots is when you become the voice of an author. Um, yeah. And that author's, you know, you start off early <laughs> Year and then every book the author does. So, for example, Humphrey Bowell was the voice of Bryce Courtney for a very long time. Right. Um, and, yeah, that's a good one. And also there is uh, a, way, a sense in which, yeah, as Stig said earlier, luck plays a role. But also once you have been, got over the line and done a book, um, if it's rated well and audible, you know, sadly ratings determine a lot of things, um, you might find yourself being offering more books as a result of that. So we did um, The Trauma Cleaner, which was a very successful book year before last, and Rachel Tid narrated it. And because it was promoted by Audible as Book of the Month and it got a huge listenership, it got a huge um, number of ratings, and Rachel did a fabulous job with narration. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we find it's very easy to get Rachel over the line for other books or people will ask for her specifically. And that does happen. Sometimes people say, I want a particular voice for this book. And particularly if it's a high-profile author, they normally have the clout to get that, get what they want. Um, but, yeah, uh, I interviewed someone recently about the history of audiobooks and there's been some research that people fall in love with certain voices. And... Um, I know, for example, my husband is a librarian. He has a client who he has to find audiobooks for who will listen to anything as long as it's read by David Tredinick. Um, and so what we find now is that um, Audible will come to us say, oh, we want Tamala Shelton to read another book. We want Tamala Shelton to read another book. So you can be very lucky and hit that sweet spot. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say something before we moved on. I, I was doing oh, Belinda and I, uh, I was doing some uh, interviews on, for film, filming stuff around the country. And I remember interviewing this truck driver. Um, uh, it, you know, he had blue singlet. And, and I went up to him and said, oh, you know, truckies listen to a lot of audiobooks. And I stopped him at this truck stop and had my camera and microphone. I went up and said, um, hey, I'm just wondering, do you listen to what? And he opened up his cabin. His whole cabin was filled with um, uh, uh, Bryce Courtney books or Humphrey Bower books. And, and, and here's this bloke in this singlet going, yeah, man, I love him. I love, I love the way he reads. He's great. I'll find anything narrated by him. It's great. Truckies all over the country listening to Humphrey Bauer, yeah, yeah. Courtney, amazing and, you know, an eye-opener. Mm. You know, and, and just on the point of, of audiobooks, I mean, if there's anybody here today who wants to do audiobooks and doesn't listen to audiobooks, you need to listen to audiobooks. I mean, you can go to the local library and Belinda has something called BorrowBox, which is a free library thing, isn't it, Steve? It's, it's free. Yeah. Order. yeah. Audio. All you have to do is be a library member. So, you, you know, if you're a member of your local library, you can yeah. download the app straight to your phone. It's called BorrowBox. It's a little green app. You just literally put in your library membership number and it's, it's basically a virtual library. Every, every library around the country, around the world almost, UK, New Zealand has BorrowBox, uh, Wales, Ireland, it's everywhere. Um, and it's free. It's not like Audible. You don't have to pay for any of it. And all the great titles are there. You can search by author. You can search by narrator. You can search the different categories, children's category, um, adult fiction, whatever you want, you know. And, um, and yeah, it's all free. It's just, it's just like going to the library, but without having to actually physically go to the library. And also the thing about listening to audiobooks, because I often read a book, so I'll read it like a punter. Not, not a book that I'm going to read, just a book that I want to read. And then I'll get the, if I've loved it, I will then download the audiobook. Yeah. 
and it's a completely different experience it is a completely different experience if the if the narration is fabulous you get so much more nuance of the story than you would by reading it yourself when you've got the dog jumping on the bed or your daughter coming in saying here's your cup of tea oh which would be a really good thing right now actually but you know it, it's it's a fabulous thing if you're not if you're not, if you're not listening to audiobooks get into the habit i listen to them in the car now music audiobook music audiobook you know however it takes my mood so it is pretty fabulous too and for children um for you know who are reluctant readers it's a great way to get them started to get them listening to an audiobook um and then, and then what happens is that they hear it and kids are amazing they will like we'll listen to a book once and go well that was great kids listen to it like it's a song they get to the end of it and they want to listen to it all over again yeah. from the beginning that's what drives drives parents mad mums and dads come up to me and say shut up Stop talking. I can't stand the sound of your voice. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> it's just coming out of every bedroom in their house, which is frightening. It's also um, good for kids with dyslexia. Yes. And, uh, but going back to what Addie was just saying, sometimes the, the narrator can make sense of a book in the way that you can't, and particularly Absolutely. going back to your truck driver's stick, um, who mightn't necessarily, I don't want to grossly generalise, but mightn't have had the strongest of educations, but um, the audiobook gives them access to books that they would never really, that they'd struggle to read themselves. I have an example from my working life at the ABC where for reasons that still remain elusive to me, I volunteered to um, produce a reading of Henry James's The Turn of the Screw, which is an extraordinary story that Henry James's prose is so prolix. And if you want to test yourself out on whether you are a narrator, maybe give Henry James a try. But I had Helen Morse read it, the divine Helen Morse, and she did all the kind of phrasing and um, stress and fine work around the text that made it make sense in a way that if you're reading it on the page, you've got to read it twice to make sense of it because it's just so complex and verbose. Mm. Uh, I just got a, had a question about um, rates for, we were going to talk about rates and, and I kind of skipped past it because I thought we already touched on it, but let's just talk about uh, rates. Basically, Belinda will charge, um, will pay, charge, pay $110 per recorded hour um, plus a $150 book prep fee. So that fee, that prep fee is whether the book is eight hours or 18 hours, whether it's a complication of characters and words that you need to look up and other accents you need to get across, same fee. A little bit strange. It needs work. But the I don't mind it, Ab. An Andy Griffiths book is about three quarters of an hour. So for me, I'm pretty happy to be honest. <laughs> Smart ass. Um, so the difficulty we've, tell you the truth, the difficulty we have always had with audiobooks, well, up until now, is that there's been one solid player called Bolinda. They have had it the way they want. They're not interested in talking to us about rates. And whenever, because there are a lot of people who are doing audiobooks who are not performers they're just actually really good narrators you know maybe not a lot I don't know what the percentage is but there are some people out there they're hard to find to organize in a union sense I'll do union speak around that because in order to change anything a group of people who are doing the work need to be organized and need to be able to as you would all know you rusted on union members that's the way we get things done and get things changed. When you have somebody who is reluctant to talk to you, it stays the same. At Belinda, you can jump, when you've done your third book, you'll jump up 
10 bucks to $120, which is what I'm getting. I tried it on last year for, no, I've just done a book for $165 at Square Sound. That would be my fee for this book. And I didn't get the book. So then they came back to me this year and he said, can you do something for $120? I thought, I love the book. I'm going to do it. That's the difficulty. That is always the difficulty. If you want it, you've got to take our rates. Square Sound pays much more um, reasonable rates. Are they always the same, Justine? No, they vary depending on who our client is in each instance. So when we were recording a lot for Audible, Audible, like us, uh, felt at that time when they were coming into the market and Belinda was the main competitor that Belinda's rates were unacceptably low. Um, and so we were paying considerably more than that. Um, but uh, unfortunately, Wavesound don't pay as well. They pay better than Belinda, but not as well as we would like to pay. Um, on the other hand, Penguin Random House and I think also Harper Audio pay quite a bit more. I heard of someone recently who did a book for Penguin Random House who got $250 finished, yeah. which is double what Belinda are paying. Yes, exactly. And I was really impressed because it means that Penguin Random House are taking this seriously and they want quality and they are prepared to pay um, and get the best results, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we don't pay a separate uh, prep fee, but we do pay a higher fee. And we also pay our uh, superannuation obligations, which probably can't oh, be thank you. all uh, in this field. Now, let's just talk before we get any questions that are left over. Let's talk about what happens when you're in the studio, because that's a really important thing. So Justine, do you want to take it away? Yes. So the most important thing when you're in the studio is you have to be able to do your best work and we are there to facilitate that and help you. So for example, we talked about earlier about playing to people's strengths. We have a young narrator we love. He's just not a morning person. We don't call him in the morning. We call him at 6 p.m. and he does a six to 10 shift very happily. Um, so, because we, we just know we're gonna get a better result out of him. He's gonna be awake and alert and functioning at his optimal. Um, you need to come in and you need to be comfortable. So I was started an audio book yesterday with Margot Knight, who brought in her comfy Uggs from home to slip on once she'd got in the front door. Uh, so she could just be comfortable, you know, loose cut clothing, you have to be very conscious of um, if you've got noisy clothing. And I have in the last 12 months made two separate people take off their bras because their bras <laughs> were creaking. Um, and obviously avoid, if you come in with lots of jewelry, then you need to just take it off. Uh, you need to come in warmed up and ready to go. Uh, we avoid, tell people to avoid lots of caffeine. We always have lots of herbal teas uh, for people. You have to have eaten. Truly the number of people who come in for a nine o'clock call and have neglected to have brekkie and at 10.30 I'm force feeding them bananas to stop the tummy, the tummy rumbles. Um, but then conversely, you have to have not eaten too much and getting sort of postprandial and dozy. Uh, obviously, we expect people to be prepared. My job is to be there to support you. So when we do come across that word that neither of us are quite sure how to pronounce, we have how to say and forvo on our iPad so we can just um, play the word and check. Uh, I always make people sing, as Abby knows. And um, if I want you to sing a song, if there's lyrics in the song, I'll find the name of the song and I'll find a clip on YouTube and I'll play it to you so you can sing it because it just sounds lame if you speak it. Um, 
in terms of pace and, you know, everyone's different. Some people, as we've said, just like to get in the studio and just go. You know, William McInnes is like that. He'd sit there for four hours without moving. And I'll say, mm, can I just duck up to the passage to the loo and come back? And he's like, yep, sure. Um, other people like to have a break and a stretch after every chapter. I really, for me, you need to do what you need to do to be comfortable and perform your best. So I'm very adamant about that, that we just work at your pace, um, have breaks when necessary and do what we need to do to get the best result. Yeah. And be well hydrated. That's a really, really important thing. You will have water with you in the studio, but the fact is you're reading for a long time. And if you do get into flow, you don't notice time passing. All of a sudden you look at your watch and you think, shit, have I really been doing that for an hour without even putting my head up, you know? And sometimes that's exactly what happens. So you have to be well hydrated before you get there and the water in there is just to top up. Can I just talk a bit about iPad versus paper, which Abby touched on earlier. And we truly don't have a preference. If you want paper, if you're analogue, as Abby said, we will give you paper. If you want an iPad, that's uh, we have a spare iPad that you can use and there is I annotate that you can mark it up. But often people will also have notes in a notebook and as I touched on, they might have uh, dialogue uh, voices on their iPhones, on their phones, so they can just play it back as a reference. Um, we really don't have a preference, uh, but sometimes I think one of the good things about paper is when every two pages, because you'll have two pages in front of you, no more than that, at the end of the second page, when people stop to turn a page, it's often they'll just pick up automatically and have a sip of water. So, um, but yeah, we don't care which people use, whichever they feel more comfortable with. I think when we shifted across to using iPads, it was fantastic. I think the number of times that I've had to stop because you get a bit of paper noise in it's hard sometimes because yeah. you're in the middle of it, you're trying to delicately move the paper as you go to the next page. No, well, you can't, you can't, you can't move paper and speak at the same time. You have to stop, you know, and move the pages over. But, um, but that's the thing with the iPad, as Abby said, when you're just scrolling constantly, all of a sudden you realise you haven't stopped for half an hour or an hour and, you probably should stop and just have a sip of water or some nice tea or something. So I've got a couple of questions here, which is um, about the choice of material for demos. So that is kind of, that is pretty key if you've never done this before. And that's about finding, knowing what, what it is your voice says. Is, do you have a voice that kind of feels a bit like it could be a, a voice from the 1940s or is it a, an 80s voice or is it a really modern kind of, you know, how long is worth for is it you know how what, what is it how does it sit and where do, where does your where does your tone kind of fit um same with with if you're a female i would say avoid classics you know um go for contemporary titles because really they're the things that are being produced the most these days find something that really honors your skills and, and reflects the skills that you have bet that you've determined you have best somebody did ask a question about does could I or anybody else give them um, give them give them feedback? You know, send something to me, give me feedback. Well, I'm not supposed. It's not supposed to be self-promoting, but if you googled voiceover coaches Melbourne, you'd probably get somebody who could help you. But but also, I think that's right. I think to find something that suits your voice. But I also think it's important. And it comes back to what you said before: is that the best narrators are the ones that you know you the narrator when you listen to a good book you just know the person is really connected to the story i i you call it flow i call it like falling into the hole in the page where yeah, you yeah, so, yeah. so maybe a, a good Same thing might be to find something that you particularly can immerse yourself in yeah that because you know guys this is not about and people have talked about sight sight reading is crucial 
for uh, for an audiobook reader and what what something that justine said before you know if you've got two minutes worth of of, of dialogue and it takes you six minutes to get through it what justine meant was six minutes to get through it without falling all over the place you know if it, that's that's a hard it's a hard thing to measure how long will it take you to read a book because are you the kind of reader who can go cleanly through a whole page and really understand the nuance the pauses exactly what's going on in the story that is are you reading the words or are you telling the story because if it's first person it's your story so you have to give enough pausing or or give enough idea that, that you're actually not telling this story off the page, that you're making it up as you go along. It has to actually feel that this is yours. You have to own the words and own the story. So in order to do that, you have to really know the book. I probably went on, off on a bit of a tangent then because it's about what do we put on a demo. But, yeah, when you do put it on a demo, you can't just read it and go, hope they like my voice. It's not about your voice. No. Yeah, the, the demo is not the time to set yourself an intense intellectual challenge of trying to read, you know, Henry James. <laughs> As um, Abby said, you know, the classics have already been well covered and recorded, you know, so we don't record that kind of thing. So, yeah, this is what I tell my students, find something that you connect with that shows your strengths. Yep. Yeah. Well, well known or not. You know, if you like it and it shows your strengths, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's Alexi. I just thought I'd just let you know it's twelve fifteen. So if or if you want to. Oh, okay. So so somebody's in Perth. Oh, gee, now I think just um, ring a couple of the studios in Perth um, of the, the the sound recording studios and and ask them if they're doing audiobooks. I know somebody over there has told me they've done an audiobook, but I think that's your best bet if you're in Perth and you, you're looking for... Um, but, but, but also contact Belinda because, like I said before, they don't yeah. care who you are. So right. you know, they, Belinda fly Humphrey Bower over from Perth to do books. Um, it, look, it is, fair, it is reasonable to say that most of the production is done in the eastern seaboard and Melbourne and Sydney. Um, we have, there's a very good audiobook narrator in Adelaide called Anna Steen, whose mother was audiobook royalty. She was a producer at the ABC for a very long time. And Anna's been doing books since she was a child. But she'll come over to Melbourne to work with us for, you know, she'll book a flight and come over for three or four days. Um, and obviously, with, in that instance, we'd do longer days with her, A, because she's experienced, but B, because she's got limited time, she's got to get back to Adelaide. Uh, so, yeah. Does not just do that though, just just to get out of Adelaide. <laughs> How could you say that? I love Adelaide. <laughs> hey, um, somebody somebody just asked, is it is it recorded hour or edited hour? The the fee is per recorded hour. So if it takes you two hours to record an hour, you get the fee for for that. So it's two hundred and twenty dollars is the fee per recorded hour. If it takes you two hours to record that, it's one hundred and twenty dollars. So you know when you start doing the sums it's it's not a lot of money if you consider how much time you have to prep the book try not to think about money if you want to do this do it because it's deeply satisfying creatively and it just gives you so much insight into it's taught me more about writing than any writing course i've ever done just just in relation to money um so yeah Oh, really what you're looking at is for the actual hour you spend working on the book, you're looking at maybe between $40 to $60, depending on how quickly you read the book. Um, but just to be clear, there's in this industry, unlike, say, 
uh, TV serials or advertising. There's no rollovers or residuals or royalties. This is the only money you get. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, can I just say something about, somebody's asked a question about a, um, setting up an affordable home studio. Well, you missed the webinar two weeks ago because we did a live stream on home studios. However, it is available on the, oh, that's what I meant to say, Alex. I actually looked for webinars yesterday on the site and couldn't find where it was housed. Yours is in the process of being uh, finalised and put up, but if people go to the www.equityfoundation.org.au, they go to the menu and they go to podcasts, that's where we store all the podcasts. And we're doing two to three of these live streams a week. So they're not, a, they, they can take a couple of weeks to get edited and finalised and put yeah. up. So, so, yeah. so be patient. Thank you. That's for you there, Zoe. And um, is an agent essential? An agent is not essential. I mean, you will get briefs that will come through an agent. But if you send uh, samples to the studio, as Justine said, sound... Um, um, uh, Square sound. Square sound, square sound, or <coughs> to Audio Brian in Sydney, or to Belinda, um, then and and you and they like you, then they will. If if they you know if they like you, then they'll, they'll get you in. You know, so that's really it's it's not an essential thing to have an agent. And of course, those briefs will come through theatrical agents too, not just voiceover agents. Yeah. Right. Any other questions? I think we're almost um. Oh, I think we're almost ready. We're done. Are we done and dusted? You want to say anything else in fun, finally? I think my brain's going a bit strange. And I've only been, I've only been reading for an hour <laughs> and a bit. I've got one question, Abby. Um, someone asked about um, is there a possibility of taking a royalty split deal with authors rather than getting paid straight out or avoid? Uh, I might be able to say a little bit about that. Uh, there is um, an organisation that's an offshoot of Audible and it's called AXS. I don't think it's ASX because that's Australian Stock Exchange. Something like a AXS. AXS. That links authors and potential narrators directly. So that helps authors who might be self-publishing or authors whose own publishers don't want to do an audio book or sign over the rights and the author has held on to audio rights and that is a way of connecting um, and then Audible will choose whether or not they take that product. Um, they established it because they were getting so many people coming to them saying, I'm a narrator, I want an author, author narrate a book or I'm an author, I want my book narrated and the publisher's of said books weren't interested um, and it's a yeah it's a way of uh, people connecting and meeting all the technical specifications of audible and finding an aggregator who will help you connect with audible so um, you can check that one out AXS does have studios wherever they're based in the states they're based in the states uh, but anybody else who does other titles would have to record from home it's um, and so you don't get it. You don't get payments up front. Uh, you don't get paid for your time. You go into that arrangement or whatever. It's um, distinctly difficult to drive any income from it. Uh, can yeah. I uh, maybe I just reiterate what you were saying, Ab? Is that you know ACX? Maybe um, like the, you know we've talked a bit about how the money's not 
not great. But um, like for me, I didn't, in the very beginning, I didn't do it even, I didn't get paid at all. But what I did do was use it as a way of helping to develop my voiceover work, you know, for radio and television, yeah. where the money is actually quite good. And for a long time, I was a very busy voice actor on radio and television, which was extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think audiobooks are much more about, um, you know, food for the soul more than anything else. But, you know, by the same token, it does, it can also lead to other things. I make okay money now traveling the country and performing live and talking about um, audiobooks and being the voice of somebody like Andy Griffiths. And, and, and that reward to be able to narrate something that is so highly acclaimed you know Boyce Wallace Universe won all sorts of ABA awards Australian book industry awards that year the year that it came out and um it was acclaimed and you know to be a part of that it's equally as fulfilling as doing um a play at the Melbourne Theatre Company or a, a feature film or it's amazing. And you look at the calibre of people now who do audio books and the respect I have for people like Stephen Fry, if you've ever listened to the Harry Potter series, you know what a brilliant narrator that man is, you know. And, and to aspire to be that, to be in that, is maybe that's enough. And forget about the money side of it in a way because it will help you in many other ways anyway. Yeah, I think that's right, Stig. And also, as we said earlier, that the people who do a lot of audiobook narration are people who really love just text and words and conveying ideas. But yeah, look up, look upon it as a, a learning experience because you will get to do in an audiobook all kinds of things you would never get cast for on stage or screen. So you'll get to play all those different characters. You get to play the funny little old grandmother and the five-year-old. And it's just a really great way of um, skilling up. Yeah, and like, you know, you were talking before, Abby, I mean, if anybody aspires to also write, I completely agree with that. I actually had written my own um, three-part series of audio books. I wrote it specifically for audio because it used to frustrate me that I think, how come, you know, it gets written as a book and then turned into an audio book? Why don't we write as an audio book and get the publishers to turn it into the printed work? That never <laughs> happened. It never, it never actually got out of um, being always just an audio book. But to this day, I still get, it was, for, it was for kids, but I still get kids who come up to me and say, are you going to do a trip diary? for is there going to be another installment so you know it just it feeds into all sorts of creative outlets and it's and from my perspective it's been a big part of my life all my life and um and I know you feel the same way Justine is that we love the spoken word and we just we I I love it (laughs) I love it love it we love it there's just a couple of questions here oh oh gosh um uh uh, specific techniques or tips regarding use of mics now the thing about um, microphone technique and audiobook is that you've got to think about audiobooks that you're talking to an ear. So, you know, volume is a really important thing and it is an intimate engagement with whoever you're talking to. It's intimate. When you are actually dealing with the scene that is jumping into character, sometimes you might just be slightly projecting your voice or angling your voice slightly differently, but generally you're fairly close to the mic and you're using a fairly low volume. You are really just talking to that one ear. And it is ACX, guys. It's ACX, that mob in the States. Go on, speak. For someone like me who, who came through radio drama, what I all, and I started off in radio intending to move into film and TV production. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And I stayed in radio and audio more broadly because I love that intimacy. It's just one voice sharing a story and it's it's possible probably as a performer one of the few times you'll get to do that you don't need to project beyond the footlights you know you're just sharing something very intimately one-on-one and it's the very great power of the medium yeah 
Peter in mind. Now, there was also a question about um, getting into the broader voiceover community. I'm actually, the next um, uh, live stream I'm doing in a couple of weeks is going to be about that voiceover landscape. So if that's of interest to you, watch out for the, uh, the e-bulletin that comes from the foundation on a Thursday. Can so I just say... So, Abby, can I just interrupt and say one last thing from me? Um, people ask me, and I work with the VCA acting students, and people ask me, you know, how do I get better? And how do you get better is just do it every day. Pick up something at random. Pick up the, the guide to the dish, how to use the dishwasher, the new dishwasher. Um, pick up the newspaper and open it to the obituaries. Just pick up something every day and read it aloud. And if you really want to, you can record it and listen back and say, oh, that sounded terrible, oh, that sounded really good, but just read aloud every day. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Okay, so we've done, thank you so much, everybody. It's been absolutely fabulous and um, we've done well with time. So I appreciate you tuning in. There was an awful lot of you, so it's great to have that much interest and hopefully we've been able to help you with everything you need to know. Well, Abby, on Justine and Stig, on behalf of all the equity attendees today we thank you all very much that was a fabulous session so thank, thank you so thank much thank you media super is the principal sponsor of the equity foundation for more information about the work of the foundation visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow australian actors equity on facebook and twitter